Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blalock entitled, Strengths for Struggles. If you have your Bible tonight, I am in Romans the 8th chapter. Romans the 8th chapter. We're going to read verses 18 through 30 tonight. And I'm going to point out three great strengths we have in the time of struggle. I want to talk to you tonight about strengths for struggles. Can you say that with me? Strengths for struggles. Now say that five times real fast. <laughs> strengths for struggles. Romans the 8th chapter beginning in the 18th verse. To hear the word of the Lord as we read together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And his people said, Amen. How many of you have ever felt like a Krispy Kreme donut? I don't mean you felt like eating one, I meant you felt like you were one. You may say, what on earth, Pastor, are you talking about? You and I, next Sunday, when this fast is over, we'll get to drive through on the corner of Hillcrest and, um, and Greelot over there, and we will get to turn down and, uh, and enjoy, once again, the joy that is all things Krispy Kreme. Amen? All God's people said, yes, yes. Have you ever noticed how they make those things? The thing I like about Krispy Kreme rather than other places is you get to watch them being created. I love not only the hot donut sign when it pops on, amen. Uh, By the way, you know there's an app for that. You can get on your phone, it'll light up every time they have hot donuts now. Kirk Walters said he discovered that when he took Metro Church in Birmingham and he gained 10 pounds the first month, yeah. Because the app would go off on his phone in the middle of the day and he'd get up and drive over about a block away and load up on donuts. I don't have the app for that very same reason. Amen. 
It's just too tempting. How do they make those things? I love watching them as they ride down the little, uh, you know, little escalator there and the little roller coaster coming around. And I always order the hot glazed ones. I know they have a variety, but if you order the hot glazed ones, they don't reach under the counter and get those right. No, they reach over right on that conveyor belt and they give you one that just rolled off the assembly line. Some of you are dying right now because you gave up sweets for this fast. I'm with you. Kevin gave up bread, I gave up dessert, and I could really go for one of these right now. How do they make them? Well, first they make these little balls of dough, and they have this little machine that shoots a piercing blast of air, and it makes a hole right through the middle. It pierces that little ball of dough. And then they go into the proof box, and they ride up and down in an elevator, and they go up and down, and it's an atmosphere of heat and humidity, and it causes the yeast to work, and it makes the dough rise, and these little flat pieces of dough that have been pierced through the middle get nice and fluffy, and they take on that beautiful form that we all know and love called the donut, right? And there they are. Then they take them after they've swollen up in the heat and the humidity Amen, like some of you ladies hair in Mobile in the summertime. It just, it swells up, right? They take them and then they drop them in a vat of hot oil and they boil them until they are golden perfection and just right. Nice and brown on the outside and sweet and soft on the inside. And just when they've survived all of this, to top it all off, they send them down the little conveyor belt under a cascading lava fountain of white dripping molten icing. And it bathes each one in that. And then they pick them up and put them in the little box and hand them to you and me. Have you ever felt like a Krispy Kreme donut? Not like you want one, like you are one. Where the trials of life have shot you through with a piercing blast where you've ridden up and down in the heat and humidity of difficult times, where you have been boiled in the trials of life, where you have uh, been uh, you know, covered, it seems, in the cascading lava of trouble and tribulation. You ever felt like a Krispy Kreme donut? Well, you know, as difficult as the times are for those, it sure does make them sweet, doesn't it? There is a sweet fruit of bitter times, according to the Bible, and God has a purpose even in our problems, and He can make us and transform us into the image of His Son through them, and that's His promise, and we just read about that together in Romans chapter 8, and I want us to look tonight, but pastor, it's so difficult when you're in the process of trials and tribulations, of tests and trouble. How do you make it through times like that? Well, in the text we read, God gives us three great strengths for struggles. And I want you to look at them with me tonight and, and, and let's pick them apart. Amen. We're going to look together at God's Word and we're going to start in verses 18 and 19. You know, while we oftentimes get caught up in this idea that uh, suffering, it, it often catches us by surprise if we're honest. We somehow intuitively believe that uh, if we were living outside of God's will, we would have trouble. But certainly inside God's will, things should be going better for us than they currently are. And the reality often catches us by surprise when even as God's people who are doing our best to live a God-honoring life, we find difficulty and pain in our pathway, and it often sneaks up on us. It's not like we haven't been warned, though, right? One verse before our text tonight, we begin in verse 18, but verse 17 says, We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, and if we suffer with Him, we will also be glorified together. So the glorified is preceded by the suffering, right? 
Easter is preceded by Good Friday. And it wasn't just true of Jesus, it's true of all those who follow the way of Jesus. Amen? We will have our moments of difficulty. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Paul said in Philippians 3, I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And we all shout, yes. And then he says, and in the fellowship of his sufferings. And that's the part we're not so sure about. But it all goes together of a peace. Amen. It all comes together. Paul says in the verse we read for the offering tonight, just before the verse I read in verse 17, back in verse 12 of Philippians 4, he says, I know how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned how to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. Indeed, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Paul didn't just see this as something true for himself as an apostle. He writes to his young son in the faith, Timothy, and he says, You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is just par for the course. Endure hardship. The Greek is a middle deponent verb. What does that mean? The literal translation would be this. Timothy, take for yourself your share of hardship. In other words, Timothy, come get you some of this. Amen. Come get you an armful of this. Of what? Of hardship. This is par for the course, he says, for walking with Jesus. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. Beloved, do not be strange concerning the fiery trial of your faith, as though some strange thing had happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to the Creator in doing good as to a faithful Father. Listen tonight. How do we find strength in the middle of our struggles? Well, the number one way is we find strength through the promise of God. Say the promise of God. Romans 8, verse 18 and 19, for I, this is the promise, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with a glory which will, be, which will be revealed in us. That's the promise, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Paul says that much of our suffering in this life is tied to the fact that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is still feeling the effects of of Adam's sin in the garden. He says it in verse 20, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of the God who subjected it in hope. We live in a fallen world. I used to get tickled at Brother J.O. Walker who pastored the Mendenhall Church of God and someone would make a statement about suffering and trouble in the world and they would say, I just don't know why things like this happen. And Brother Walker would say, I do. And everyone would look and turn their head and he would say, We live on a cursed planet. We live on cursed ground. A blessed man lives on blessed ground, but a cursed man lives on cursed ground. And Adam and Eve disobeyed, and the curse came on the earth because of that. And until Jesus comes back, and that curse that was broken at the cross is finally completely rolled away, there is still evidence of that curse in creation. Death and decay, sickness and disease, all these things are signs of that. The world is not like God originally designed it. It's like we woke up on the scene right after the bomb had exploded. And all we've ever known is a world after the fall. 
That's what you and I have seen. We've never seen the world in all of its true glory and brilliance. Yet Paul doesn't see our suffering as hopeless. In fact, he says the pains we suffer are prophetic of the future glory. How in the world can you say that? The example Paul uses is of a woman who is in labor for childbirth. Ladies, you all remember that epic, glorious day, don't you? Mm, Nothing epic or glorious about it, right? There it was. But the pains of labor are prophetic pains. They are not a sign that something bad is coming. They're a sign that something quite good is coming, right? And the closer those pains get together, the more eagerly you anticipate and await the arrival of that precious baby who's about to show up into the world. Paul says we should train ourselves to think of suffering in that way. That suffering in this life is like the labor pains of a new creation that is about to burst forth on the scene. Jesus will return. He will roll back the curse of darkness and sin and death and and all the corruption and decay that go with it. And there will break forth a new creation. Our earth, our world will be released from the suffering of sin and darkness. And it will burst forth and be completely transformed and glorified. This is what we wait for. A new heaven and a new earth where there's righteousness. We wait for that place that John describes in the final chapters of his vision and revelation. Amen? That earth that is renewed in all its glory. That's what we're longing for. And Paul says we ought to train ourselves in the promise of God to understand that every time we face suffering here, when the enemy comes to try to knock our feet out from under us by unexpected suffering, the Holy Spirit whispers to us, Oh, it's just a little labor pain, child of God. It's just a little labor pain. One day, one day, the new creation will be born and you and I will enjoy it in all its glory and all its splendor. So in the meantime, we view our suffering through the lens of God's promise that one day it will be rolled back. It'll be changed. It'll all be different. In the meanwhile, what do we do? We groan. Say, we groan. You know what groaning is? Again, there's that, 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 that picture from labor. Uh, I remember the sounds that came from that room as our child was being born. There's groaning that happens, isn't there, gentlemen? You remember that? Those of you who weren't hiding out in the hall, pacing up and down, right? Yeah, there's groaning that comes in that moment. Well, the Bible tells us about groaning in this passage. In fact, he gives us three groups that groan. Number one, he says, the creation groans. Say creation. He says it here in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Every time you see a natural disaster, every time you bump into a storm or see an earthquake or a hurricane or a tornado, any time you see creation not acting quite right, every time you see a mountain blow its top in a volcanic eruption, it reminds you that there's something not quite right, something not stable about the world we live in. And what is it? It's the labor pains of a new creation waiting to be born. It's the release from bondage that's coming just around the corner. And sometimes we feel the creation groaning around us. Amen? Last night I bumped into a little bit of creation groaning. About 7 o'clock I was pulling out of my car on the corner of Dawes and Cottage Hill at the Walmart when the creation groaned all around me and these quarter-sized hailstones pounded my little Camry. Right? And I'm driving back through and I'm groaning right along with creation going, oh Jesus, don't let this break my window while I'm driving, amen? 
I was so glad to pull up into the comfort of my driveway, get into my house, and join the rest of my family in the closet in the master bedroom. Amen? Some of you were there too. That's all right. That's where you should have been. What was happening? Creation was groaning last night. Something was not right. We feel it. We sense it. Creation groans. Say, creation groans. And we groan right along with it. The second thing that groans is the believer groans. The very next verse, verse 23. Not only that, what? Creation, not only does creation groan, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We're waiting on that day. We're waiting on what? The adoption. What does that word mean? The word adoption here, literally, the word is the placing as sons. Now, I want you to understand, this is an interesting little word. In the New Testament, adoption doesn't just imply the idea of adopting a child and bringing it into your family, as wonderful as that is. In the New Testament, adoption has to do with coming into our full rights as God's children. Coming into the full exercise of our rights as God's children. When a child was adopted, he was given the irrevocable rights uh, by his father that could never be taken from him. And there, but there was a sense in which he didn't come into those rights until he was an adult child. They were his in potential when he was a child, but when he was grown, he could step into those and he was fully adopted into his father's good name. That's the idea here. You and I are children of God right now. And yet we don't enjoy our full privileges yet as children of God. When you read about what we are going to do in the kingdom of God in the millennial time when Jesus comes again, it'll blow your mind, right? The Bible says we'll rule and reign with Jesus. The Bible says, don't you know you'll judge angels? It's unbelievable to think about the things that we will be doing when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth. Hard to get our head around, isn't it? On that day, we will receive the adoption as sons. We will be appointed to our full place in the kingdom of God. When will it happen? The same day God redeems our bodies. You see that last line? The adoption comes when? At the redemption of the body. I'm so thankful that one day we will cash in this earthly body that is the source of most of our groaning, right? And we will trade it in for a brand new one just like the one that our Savior has. Amen? And it doesn't groan or creak or moan anymore. Amen? That's the promise of God. Creation groans. The Christian groans. The believer. All our frustration, mumbling and grumbling over the obstacles that block our path and thwart our plans. Our sighing over unrealized dreams. Our groans of physical pain. Our mourning over the death of a loved one. All these are labor pains indicating to us life is not as it should be. And they are our prophetic cry that something better is on the way. Creation groans and the believer groans. There's one more that groans. The Bible says, thirdly, the Holy Spirit groans. Did you know that? Look at it. The next verse there, down at verse 26. The Holy Spirit groans along with us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit groans within us. The Holy Spirit groans along with us. Oh, that's a great comfort, isn't it? God isn't absent from our suffering. He's very present. In fact, He plants Himself right in the middle of our brokenness, right in the middle of our hearts. 
And He experiences our daily life right along with us. And He enables us and He carries our groans, amen, to the Father. You know what? Our groaning can either be just earthly grumbling or it can be heavenly praying. It's up to us. You know, we can grumble to one another and that won't do much good. But if we can get alone with God and turn our grumbling into praying, then it'll do us great good. Because the Holy Spirit is able to interpret the pain and the groaning in our heart up to the Father and make it a perfect prayer that shows up before the throne. Amen? Even the Spirit who lives in us groans in prayer, expressing to God our pain, our frustration, our despair that is too deep to articulate in human words. As Pentecostal Christians, we love this verse because we see in this verse, um, we believe something that's being hinted at here, and that is when a believer prays by the power of the Holy Spirit in other tongues. What do you mean? We don't know what we are saying. We're not aware of, what's, of what is being communicated in our heart when we pray in another tongue. And yet we trust that the Holy Spirit is able to take these unintelligible words and phrases and sounds that we do not understand and He's able to lift them up before the Father and make them known and understood to Him. And there are times whenever we don't know how to pray and we run out of words. And in those moments, we lean back on the Holy Spirit and He groans for us. He sighs through us. He communicates through us in a way that's beyond our ability to communicate on our own. And so if you are a Spirit-filled Christian who prays in other tongues, I urge you to do that as often as the Holy Spirit prompts you to because... It is beneficial according to God's Word. But even tonight, if that's not a blessing you've stepped into yet, I hope you will, but if it isn't, that shouldn't hinder you from praying. Because even the moments in prayer, when we hit our limit, and we don't feel like we can say any more to God, if you'll just get alone in the presence of God and groan, God will understand what your groans mean. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? He understands, He feels what we feel, and He communicates that to God. And He's able to do that for us. What a good Father, indeed, we've sung about tonight. The Holy Spirit helps us in our suffering. He groans. Our sufferings are prophetic of a better day to come. Amen? 2 Corinthians 4 says it this way, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, uh, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul tells the Thessalonians, even in the death of a loved one, we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. We are resurrection people, even on funeral days. We grieve with the understanding that Jesus will come and raise our loved one one day. Suffering is sort of like being submerged in boiling water. It shows you what you're made of. The same water that hard boils an egg will soft boil a potato. Amen? It's all about what you're made of. Suffering shows us who we are and what we're made of. And if we, do it, if we suffer without God's grace and strength, it'll hard boil us. And we'll get to where we get hard and recalcitrant and resistant to God. And we, we get bitter and angry and we don't want anything to do with God. But if we suffer along with God's help and grace, it'll soften our hearts and make us moldable in His image. Amen? It matters how, if we suffer with grace or without grace. John Eldridge tells the story of a discus thrower from the 19th century. He had 
heard about this great sport, but he never participated in it. He had a book that showed him the dimensions of a discus, and he knew that it was made of metal, so he made himself one with the right proportions, and he practiced under that thing, and he threw it, and at first he could barely throw it, and he kept working and just kept working. He found out what the record for a discus thrower was in the United Kingdom, and he went and marked off and paced the distance out, and he marked the point where the record was held, and he went back and he through and through and through until he could pass the mark of that world record setting discus thrower. Well when he arrived on the day for the competition he found out something that he did not know because he was going off of a sketch in a drawing book. The discus that he had made was made out of metal. The discus that was used in competition was made out of wood and had an iron rim around the edge to make it travel. So when he picked up the discus for the competition, he tossed it like a tea saucer. And he broke the record at the very first competition. And he broke the record for many years after that. Why? Because he learned the secret. He trained under a great burden. My friend, you and I don't know what God's got for us in the future, what God's got for us in his eternal kingdom. But in the meantime, we can trust him that he does not waste our suffering. And if we train under a great burden, it is only so we might excel in what he's called us to do and to be. Amen? Amen. Suffering has that effect on us. So how do we suffer? Well, we suffer, uh, number one, we suffer and find strength in suffering by the promise of God. Say the promise of God. Number two, we make it by the presence of God. Say the presence of God. I love this. What, has God really given us his presence? Yes, our God is ascending God. And first of all, God sent us Jesus. He sent us a pattern. Say a pattern. God's given us an example of how we are to live whenever we suffer. Even when we suffer unjustly. He's given us an example. The example is his own son. The Lord Jesus is our pattern of how we suffer. First Peter says God's given you an example in the Lord Jesus. And we should follow in his steps. Whenever we face suffering, we should do it the way he did it. He is our heavenly pattern. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted like we are, yet without sin. One version says, We do not have a high priest who cannot who, who is not touched. He's not able to be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. He knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. Jesus knows what it's like to face great difficulty and suffering. He himself walked through that same valley. Amen? And so God's given us a pattern. He, God sent his son. But not only did God give us a pattern, God gave us a paraclete. You say, what? A paraclete. God gave us not only the son, but God also sent his spirit. Romans 8, 27, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Who does? The Holy Spirit does. The Spirit of God. And so we have a pattern and we have a paraclete. You say, what is a paraclete? Well, that's the word used for the Holy Spirit in the book of John. This is the word Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. It's two words. Para means beside or with. And kaleo is called, to call someone. And so he is called beside. He is called alongside us. We have someone who joins us on the journey. You see, Jesus was our pattern, but Jesus went back to heaven. Amen? And so 
So that may be of questionable help to some of us. It's one thing to have a pattern. That's great as far as it goes. Thank God for the pattern. But I thank God he didn't stop there. Amen? God didn't just give us a promise and pat us on the head and say it'll be better after a while. You just hang in there until it gets better. And God didn't just give us a pattern in Jesus and say whenever you're struggling, just read about Jesus and try to do it like he did it. That again, that's more help than just the promise, the promise, the pattern. But thank God he gave us something else. He gave us a paraclete. God said, I'm not going to leave you to do this by yourself. I'm not going to leave you to face the trials and difficulties of life alone. You're not going to walk through this journey by yourself. You don't have to do this by your own strength or resources. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Jesus said, I will send you another comforter that he may abide with you forever even the Holy Spirit whom you receive from God the world doesn't know him but you know him for he's with you and he shall be in you I thank God tonight that I not only have a pattern and a promise I've got a paraclete amen I've got a comforter I've got a divine helper I've got God the Holy Ghost the blessed third person of the Trinity who lives in me and walks beside me and carries me and comforts me on the journey of life Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen? Go ahead and give the Lord praise. Amen. I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way for the hand of God in all my life I see. And the reason for my bliss, yes, the secret all is this, that the Comforter abides with me. He abides, he abides. Hallelujah, he abides with me. I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way for the Comforter abides with me. Thank God he gave us a pattern and a paraclete. He sent the Son and then he sent the Spirit to help us walk through this life. Thank God for that. What we need most in our suffering is not relief or explanations. We need companionship. Did you hear me? What makes our suffering bearable is not just an occasional relief or even an explanation for why we're going through it. What we need is companionship. I was a chaplain for two years and what I found out that what my people needed more than they needed me to explain their suffering, more than they needed me to try to remedy their suffering, sometimes they just needed me to come sit by their bed and hold their hand and let them talk it through and know that they were not alone in their suffering. Can I tell you, there are times we pray and receive mighty miracles from the hand of God. That is wonderful and true. We love those days. But there are seasons of life where we walk through great difficulty and great suffering and we do not even get so much as an explanation for why it's happening. But the one thing I can promise you, you will always have. I can't guarantee you, you'll always get a miracle. I can't guarantee you, you'll always get an explanation. But I can promise you, on the authority of God's Word, you will never walk through one trial by yourself. Fear not. For I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. For I'm the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer, your Savior. When you pass through and you will pass through, 
But thank God you won't get stuck in the middle. You'll come through on the other side. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. You're with me in the valley. You're with me in the pain. Why will I make it through the rivers and the fire? He says, you'll pass through because I am with you. The Lord is with us. God's presence with us is the greatest comfort in the time of trouble. I will never leave you and no, not ever forsake you. I will go with you all the way, even to the end of the world, Jesus said. That's the promise of his presence. His presence. So we've got a promise. We've got the presence of God, the pattern in the paraclete. Amen. Adam Clark points out that the Holy Spirit, how, how do we lay hold of his presence? Well, we worship and we pray, and that tends to bring an awareness of God's presence. You said an awareness. Yes, I did, and I said that on purpose. I think one of the difficulties we fall into as the people of God, as Pentecostals, is we like the moments we can feel God. And I'm Pentecostal because I like to feel God. Amen? Amen. We are the people who sort of build our life around these great experiences and encounters we've had with God. Heaven hangs low in a Pentecostal church. We believe God moves among His people and His presence can be felt and known and experienced and encountered. And yet, there are moments when we do not feel God. And if you haven't been there, you will one day. You'll walk through a valley where if you leaned on your feelings, you would feel like God's presence was clean gone. Amen? Read the psalmist if you don't believe that. He cries out to the Lord, Lord, where are you? Have you abandoned me? Are your mercies completely forgotten? He cries out. Jesus cried out. He felt that way on the cross, didn't he? My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. Abandoned me. What is he saying? He's crying out from Psalm 22 when David penned the same words. Sooner or later, every Christian walks through an experience where their feelings say, God is not here. God has forsaken. God has abandoned. But the truth is, we must be able to trust that He is present even when we don't feel Him present. Amen? Amen. The story is told of, um, of an Indian tribe where on the night that a son turns 12 years old, his father takes him into the woods and he ties him to a tree and he blindfolds him and he is to stay there all night long and not run away and not retreat no matter what he hears and no matter what happens around him he is to stay in the darkness of the forest and when the dawn breaks the next morning he is allowed to unfasten his arms and untie his blindfold and behold what's around him can you imagine how terrified he must be every creak and groan and screech owl in the forest but when that little boy reaches up and takes the blindfold off his eyes, he sees sitting across from him in the silence his father who has sat quietly with him all night long, unseen, unfelt, unheard, but very present. Can I tell you tonight, you may be walking through a trial where your eyes are blinded and you don't feel the presence of God. But can I assure you, just out of sight and just out of your feelings reach, there is your heavenly Father who never leaves his children, never forsakes his own. Never, never. I will never, no, not ever leave you. In the Bible, a negative is a strong word. A double negative is really strong. Only a couple times in the Bible do you get a triple negative where the writer stacks three words on top of each other. But this is one of them. I will never, no, not ever leave you. 
And I will never, no, not ever forsake you. We have the promise of God and we have the presence of God. Say the presence of God. How do we access it? Through prayer. We become aware of God's presence when we pray. He's always there. But we become aware of his presence. You know, there was a time whenever people would say, Lord, we want, we want you to come. Well, we know what we mean by that, right? But in reality, you can't invite God somewhere he already is. <laughs> and he's already here, amen? Holy Ghost has been here since the second chapter of Acts, amen? He's here, he's in the church, he's here. You don't have to invite him or wait for him, he's here, amen? He's present. But what we can pray is the words of the song that I like that we've sung lately. And it says, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. That's the truth. We become aware of his presence. The difference is not in God. The difference is in us. How do we lay hold of it? We pray. We pray to know and experience the presence of God. When we come to God in our pain and we cry out in prayer, we find that he's not distant. He's right beside us. His spirit translating our groanings into a language that speaks to God's heart. He helps us in our weakness. Adam Clark said it this way, Those who pray receive help in their infirmities. Those who do not pray are promised no such help. You notice that? Who receives help from the Spirit? Those who pray, those who intercede, those who allow the Holy Spirit to take their groaning, imperfect prayer and offer it up before the throne of God with His own perfections. If we'll pray, the Spirit will help us. He promised it. Amen? Well, what's our third great strength? We got the promise of God and the presence of God. Finally tonight, what do we have? Well, we have the providence of God. Say that with me. The providence of God. Here's the word of the Lord again tonight. Verse 28 the famous verse we all know from this chapter, right? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who were called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. What a great promise tonight. We have the providence of God. Not everything that happens to us is good. But God causes everything to work out for our good in the long run, in the end. God's providence does not protect the child of God from every painful circumstance. He does guarantee us, though, that none of our suffering will be wasted. The psalmist said, he gathers up my tears in a bottle. There's that beautiful scene in the book of Revelation where the saints who have been martyred are under the altar and they're crying out to God and the Bible says that God bottles up their prayers and in one place we see the saints crying out under the altar how long O oh Lord how long will you let your people endure this how long will this happen and he bottles up their prayers and says wait just a little while longer and then there's another place in the book where those same bottles are opened up and they're poured out on the earth and they bring the wrath and the judgment of God. Eventually, all the prayers get answered. Maybe not in the timing or the way we wish they would, but God bottles up our tears and He stores up our prayers. And when the time is right, He releases them on the earth with great effect. God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Our suffering's not wasted. God is able to...
add painful things to work for my development and my growth into the image of Jesus. It causes all things to work for good. What good? The good he's destined us for. What is that? To be conformed to the image of his son. You see, the way I define good is my comfort. Say, my comfort. If it makes me comfortable, then I think it's good. <laughs> God says, no, I define good a different way. The good that I'm shooting for in your life is not primarily for you to be comfortable. It is for you to be Christ-like. What did he destine me for? To be comfortable? No. He predestined me to be conformed to the image of his son. The reason some of us face pain and suffering is because we are resisting the hands of the potter to form us into the image of the Son. <laughs> and we're going one way and He is squeezing us the other way, going, nope, not that way, this way. You're not supposed to be like that. You're supposed to be like this. And oftentimes, some of us, the pain we feel is self-inflicted because we're not on the same page as the potter. We're not on the same page as the Father. He's committed to my Christ-likeness. He's going to make me like Jesus. That's His project in my life. But can I tell you tonight, even when we are in agreement with that, there are times the tools God uses are quite difficult to bear. Sometimes our suffering does work Christ-likeness in us. That's the difficult message of Scripture. It's true. Our trials, but even in the meantime, what happens? We trust the of God. We trust that God is in control. God is watching us. He's overseeing our trials. He will not allow them to get too hot for us. Amen. God has his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. Amen. He is the one driving the train. K. Arthur once said, the Bible says that we are in the hands of God and nothing can pluck us from his hands. If I'm in God's hands, that means anything that comes into my life was filtered through loving fingers. Filtered through loving fingers. I can trust the providence of a good God. So our trials don't destroy our faith, they strengthen it. Our pain doesn't undermine our hope. It makes us long even more for the world to come. Our trials don't cause us to turn away from God. They make us press our face even more deeply into His chest and draw even more closely to Him in prayer. This is the right response to trust the providence of God. Paul says in verse 37, and I'm closing, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. No, our trials don't separate us from the love of God. They deepen our experience of His love. They cause us to press even further into His chest. We learn through our trials what Corey Ten Boom said, there is no pit so deep that is love is not deeper still. Deeper still. Amen. He is able to carry us through our difficult times. He's able to give us strength for our struggles. He's able to strengthen us in the storms and the trials of life. How? He's given us a promise. The promise that our pain is just the prophetic birth pangs of a new world that is just around the corner. Jesus is coming soon. And one day it will not be as it is now. We can rest in that promise tonight. He's given us His presence. Thank God for that. He didn't leave us alone to struggle on our own. He's given us the Holy Spirit to walk with us through this trial. 
and to carry us and to strengthen us. And he's given us his providential care in every storm. We have the guarantee that even though today may be difficult, he will cause it to work out for my good and for his glory. His providence is at work in every category, every area of my life. He will perfect what concerns me. Amen? Stand with me tonight, all over, all over the Lord's house. As Pastor Chad comes and prepares to lead us tonight in a, in a song of God's faithfulness, uh, I want to ask you tonight, where are you? Maybe you're here tonight and you're in the middle of storms, and struggles, and trials. Maybe you're here tonight and you need God's help and God's strength and God's support. Can I tell you tonight? God has promised you the blessing and the grace of His promise and of His presence and of His providential care. These are yours tonight. Are you laying hold of them? How do you do that, Pastor? By prayer. By prayer. When we pray, the Holy Spirit meets us and strengthens us in our weaknesses. I love that. It says the Holy Spirit helps us in our infirmities. Literally, it says, He lays hold of our weakness. What do we need? We need someone in the places we're weak to come alongside us and to be strong. We need someone to be a splint on the legs that are giving way. We need someone to come to strengthen and hold up that place in us that's caving in and about to give under. Who does that? The sweet Holy Ghost does. The Holy Spirit strengthens us when we pray. Tonight, maybe you're here and you need just that. You need to be reminded and made aware of His presence and you need to be strengthened on the inside by the sweet presence of God and the Spirit of God. I invite you tonight, I promise you tonight, Jesus stands ready to strengthen you. The Holy Spirit has resources that are able to help you walk through your current situation. And not lose your grip on your faith in Jesus. Amen? I invite you tonight. If you need to come, come. Some of us would love to pray with you and agree with you. And pray for God's strength in you. Amen? Let's bow our hearts. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I have no doubt in my mind that this is the word you laid on my heart for this evening. And I have no doubt in my mind there are people in the room tonight who are facing great difficulty and great trial. And tonight, Lord, more than anything else, they need to be made aware again of your presence. They need to feel your touch. And they need to be strengthened for this leg of the journey that they're on. Lord, they have not cashed in their chips. They've not turned loose of their faith. They've not given up their confidence. But Lord, tonight, they're just a little weary, just a little tired. They sense weakness. They sense infirmity. They sense their own inadequacy. They sense that their own resources will not be enough to carry them through the current trial and storm. So tonight, Father, I pray that you would meet them here and you would bless them in these moments with a sense of your presence, an awareness of your touch, and that you would pour fresh strength into them. Lord, we claim your promise tonight that if we will pray, even pray imperfectly, if we will just groan out to you, Holy Spirit of God, you will come and you will enter into our groanings with us and you will turn them into prayers that are powerful before God's throne. We ask you to do it tonight in the midst of your people. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen.
we can pray with you tonight about anything. You come tonight. We want to lift you up before the Lord in prayer. Let's bear one of those burdens tonight in this place in prayer. Chad, lead us in a song tonight. The altar's open. I invite you to come tonight. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. 